A Tale of Two Sinners, or A Proper Perspective on Sin by Sherman Dye. The Bible gives us the chronicles of the kings of Israel from the first to the last. The first king lost his kingdom because he partially disobeyed a commandment. God had commanded King Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites. The prophet told Saul that God wanted him to kill everything that breathed. But when Saul came back from the slaughter, he came with the best of animals. His thinking was that the people could use them for sacrifices to God. He had good intentions, seemingly. Yet his good intentions couldn't outweigh the fact that he had disobeyed a direct command of God. And because of his disobedience, or actually his partial obedience, he lost the kingdom. God not only took the kingdom from him, but he and his oldest son both died in battle. And several in his regime lost their lives when the new king took power. That new king was David. David wasn't perfect either. After he had been king for a while, he is up on the battlements of the castle one day and sees a beautiful woman and decides to have her. The fact that she's currently married doesn't seem to bother him. He's the king. He can do whatever he wants. Not only does he commit adultery, but then he murders her husband to cover it up. Now, how God responds is very interesting. Given the previous history of the previous king, you'd think God would have gotten rid of David too. After all, which is worse, saving some animals that God said should die? or committing adultery and murder to cover it up. Clearly, any rational person would say adultery and murder is worse. So how does God respond? He forgives David. David gets to keep the kingdom. To be clear, God does judge David for his sins, and David pays by losing four of his sons. The penalty for theft is to pay back four times what you took in the Old Testament. David committed adultery in secret, but God was going to have someone commit adultery with his wives openly. Yet this punishment still doesn't compare with the punishment of King Saul. So what's the deal? Is God showing favoritism? Why would God kill one guy for not destroying some animals and let another guy live who committed murder and adultery? The answer is their attitude. When King Saul was confronted with his sin and he denied it, no, I didn't sin. I completely obeyed God. I did what I was told to do. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. And God's going to take the kingdom from you. Oh, sorry, you're right. I did wrong. Can uh, you just pretend it didn't happen? He never asks for forgiveness. Contrast that to David's response when he was confronted with his sin. David, you messed up. God is really mad at you. Oh, you're right. I really messed up. What can I do to make it right? David, unlike Saul, had a proper attitude about his sin. When God brought it to him, he repented. He was sorrowful, and he threw himself at the mercy of God's court and was willing to take whatever punishment God deemed necessary. And God responded to his humility by granting him a reprieve of sorts. He wouldn't die. 
he wouldn't lose the kingdom. So what can we learn from this? Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Everybody sins. Even the best Christians still sin from time to time. Nobody's perfect, and nobody's going to be perfect. But if we're, wa- if we're walking after the Spirit and trying to follow God, then we're going to have the right attitude about our sin. We will recognize it and strive to do better. We will ask for God's mercy when we do sin, and God will grant it. But if we're walking after the flesh, if we condone and justify our sins before God, then God can't forgive it, and we invite the condemnation of God on our lives. God cannot bless sin, and God will not ignore our prideful spirit. When God confronts us with a sin in our lives, the best thing to do is to be humble about it and let God deal with it properly. If you want the blessing of God in your life, If you want God's will for your life, then you will have to think the way God thinks about your sin. Sin won't cause us to lose out on God's will or cause us to forfeit God's will. David didn't have to stop being king when he committed adultery, but that's because he had the right attitude. It's our attitude that determines our altitude with God. Get your attitude right and you can fly high with God no matter what you've done. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's a post by Sherman Dye on March 31st. If you want to go back there and check it out. And the following is a conversation Sherman and I had concerning his post. I hope you enjoy. I've heard uh, fundamentalists say for a long time, if you fall, uh, if you uh, commit some big sin, then you forfeit God's will for your life. Basically, God is writing you off. That any chance you had to fulfill God's perfect will for your life is over. I was, I kind of had that in, in mind, uh, you know, not, I wasn't really consciously thinking of that, but I was reading through First uh, Samuel and, and looking at Saul's life and then looking at David's life and of course David we, we know that he sinned horribly he committed adultery and then he committed murder to cover it up and it struck me that at no time did God ever tell him you know what that's it you're done I, I'm, you're not going to be king anymore uh, I'm looking for somebody else you've you forfeited that for your life. In fact, God told him just the opposite. You know, I've, I've put the sin behind you. Don't worry about it. We can move on from here. And then you look at King Saul, and I, I said this in the, in the post that I wrote, uh, A Tale of Two Sinners. King Saul, he committed uh, what most people would consider a little sin. He just didn't completely do everything God told him to do exactly the way God told him to do it. You know, God told them to go wipe out a city of the Amalekites, go go kill everything that breathes. Well, he killed all the people, but he brought back some of the animals. He, he even killed most of the animals. He only brought back some of the animals. And Samuel said, uh, you, you didn't obey God's word. And, and you look at the difference there 
when when David was confronted with his sin, he immediately repented. He immediately recognized that what he had done was wrong, and he asked for forgiveness for it, um, and he threw himself at the mercy of God's court. When Saul was confronted with his sin, no, I didn't sin. I did everything God told me to do. So he doesn't even recognize that he did anything wrong. Unrepentance. That's it. It's it's not just unrepentance. It's a failure to even recognize that what you did was wrong. It's a failure to even admit. I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, you know what? You're right. I, I did wrong, but I thought it was better than what you told me to do. But he doesn't even say that. He says, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I completely did everything you told me to do. Yeah, Samuel's like, well, then what is sheep? Why why am I hearing sheep now? Right, exactly. And so Samuel tries to give him, I think he gives him three different chances to repent. And every time Saul says, nope, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I've got nothing to repent of. And so that's when Samuel tells him, well, if that's going to be your attitude, then God is done with you. Yeah, that's pretty and, cool. Yeah, and so it was It was only after that, only after God's judgment fell, that King Saul says, oh, you're right, I did wrong. Uh, but but can we just put it behind us? Yeah. Just well, act like it never happened. He, he never apologizes. He's He's... No. Yeah, some people say that uh, the one that betrayed Christ, uh, Judas. Judas. Yeah, um, he had a repentance, but it wasn't a godly repentance. Well, yes, he was. He wasn't sorry that he betrayed Christ. He was sorry at the outcome. Uh, I don't. I don't think he intended for Jesus to die. Do you think he, he was trying to force Jesus to use power to? overthrow the government or something? That's that's what some people um, speculate, uh, that that Judas's intention was to actually kind of go Jesus into taking this authority that he thought Jesus should take. And so his, um, what they say, of course, we can't know his intention. You know, and that's that's one of the other mistakes that, that a lot of people make is we, is we tend to assume attention's on somebody, you can't know what somebody's intentions are. You can't know why somebody did something. Well, um, we do know what the rest of the, the disciples believed. They they thought, you know, remember Peter said, you know, put this behind you, you know, or whatever. This this don't say that this is going to happen. And, and Jesus said, you know, get thee behind me, see. You know, they totally misunderstood what was happening. Right, exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and his purpose for being here, they thought this was the time he was just going to conquer and become... Right. And so it's entirely possible that Judas had that same idea, only he took it to a level that the rest of the apostles wouldn't have done. <laughs> what, what the Gospels teach us is that the, the disciples misunderstood what Jesus was going to do, even though he told them in plain English. He, you know, he... Uh, they understand. They yeah, they believe the scriptures and all that, and and they, so Thomas is part of that. We we could surmise maybe that, you know, all the disciples had this misunderstanding of Christ, and Thomas was going to 
I don't know, try to prove his faith or, or induce this spectacle of his. Or yeah, I mean, we're totally speculating on what what Thomas was thinking. But the outcome, yeah, you're totally right. The outcome was not what he had anticipated, <laughs> and neither was it for Saul. <laughs> right. Yeah, Saul. Saul, I think, had this expectation that, um, well, see, Saul's intention was to please the people. He based on a previous experience, uh, just a chapter or two earlier, he felt like he had lost the fellowship of the people. And so when God tells him to go and kill all the Amalekites, um, he allows the people to kind um, of go their own way with it. And so the people wanted to save the best animals, and so he went along with it because he wanted to win the people back. He, he wanted to uh, get He was being democratic, <laughs> a benevolent uh, leader. Uh, he, he, well, yeah, he was trying to. Uh, and, of course, in the end, it, it, it failed miserably because not only did he lose the people's fellowship and not get that back, now he's lost God's faith in him as well. Yeah, wow. that's yeah, so, totally backfired. That's a, a total irony in that. Um, but the, the the point of all that is, we're human. We mess up. We're going to sin, and and some of us are even going to sin bigly, uh, to use a Trumpism. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but. It doesn't have to be the end of the story. God doesn't have to put us on a shelf when we sin. If, we, if we're humble and we repent of the sin, we acknowledge our wrong before him, then God can still continue to use us. Now, we may lose a, a position with, with the people that are following us. They may never trust us. You know, if I if I step out of my marriage on my wife and I commit adultery, uh, then it's it's going to be very difficult for me to gain any level of trust back with my wife. But it but it doesn't necessarily mean the end of a marriage. A marriage can't recover from you. You're still called to be married. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So, you know, no matter what the sin is, it's our attitude about the sin far more than the sin itself that determines our, you know, and this is what I said at the end of the post, it's our attitude that determines our altitude with God. Uh, You know, God says he's going to abase those of high uh, esteem you know, uh, uh, he's going uh, to, you know, the push the, the, you know, if you've got pride, God's going to push you far from him, but God is nigh to those of a contrite heart. If you have a humble spirit, if you're sorry over your sin, if you're repentant, and God says, okay, I can work with that. That's why God worked with David. You know, God punished him. I actually punished him pretty severely. I had this conversation with the with guy on Facebook. Oh, well, you know, why couldn't, Why didn't God uh, uh, kill David, you know, because David committed adultery and God didn't do anything. I said, wait a minute, don't say God didn't do anything. God took four of his kids in punishment for his adultery. Wow, yeah. And, and, 
uh, Nathan told them that. He told them that God was going to require, and that's the common uh, uh, punishment for a thief, is a thief has to repay four times what he stole. Wow. He took Uriah's life, so God's going to take four of the lives of his kids. And you read the succeeding chapters, and you see that that's exactly what happened. Uh, the fourteen son uh, that he had with Bathsheba, he died, and then Absalom died. And, uh, I forget which other of his two kids, but he had four kids that died because of that. Now the parallels between the end of Saul's uh, kingdom and the end of David's kingdom are are very similar. Um, David probably could have overthrew Saul, but he didn't because Saul was God's anointing anointed and that reinforces your point that david didn't think that saul had forfeited the uh kingship even though he had messed up and it was taken from his heirs and i think maybe that's why i mean unfortunately david had to run for his life at the you know well, at the later end but at least it wasn't taken away you know he was treated I think, almost i think david did recognize that saul was was going to lose his kingship saul knew that he was going to lose his kingship and saul knew that david was going to be the next king yeah well, i knew he that well okay so so i think saul and david both knew i mean david david by by the time he's being chased around by saul david had already been anointed the next king by Samuel. Uh, so David knew that he was next in line for the throne, uh, but he, what he recognized was that it's up to God when I take the throne as well as where I take the throne and how I take the throne. So the whole thing is that David's leaving it in God's hands. And I think that's another thing that the mistake that uh, we make today is when we when we recognize that it's God's will for something to happen, uh, we say, "Okay, well, Lord, it's your will. It's what you want to happen, but I have to make it happen." Yeah, it seems like he learned from maybe uh, Abraham and Sarah's mess up, right? Oh, this is the will of God that uh, we have another child. Well, let's manufacture his will. David was like, no, God's going to have to do it. We we end up messing it up. Um, it's God's will for, for a man to be married. Uh, most men, I mean, there are a few exceptions, like the Apostle Paul that, you know, was not supposed to get married, but most men, it's God's will for us to get married. So what we do is we go out and we start looking for a wife. We we use our criteria, our limited finite wisdom, and and we say, well, this is the right one for me. And we don't even ask God's advice on the matter. And then bad things happen because of it. Yeah, or anybody else's advice it's for that matter. If it's God's will for me to be married, then God's going to show me the right one to marry. I've been praying this thing about a house. I believe that God's will for us to move out of the spirit. Okay. That being the case, God's going to show us where he wants us to move. He's going to show us when he wants us to move. He's going to show us how he wants us to move. So I'm leaving the whole thing in his hands. Yeah. Um, we, we found a house that we like, and the house got taken out from under us. We're not going to get it. 
And I I started to get very upset about that. And then I had to remind myself, well, wait a minute, if it's God's will, then God's going to work this thing out in his time. And the house that he wants us to have is going to be the perfect house for us to have. So I don't have to worry about it. And what that does is it takes, it, it removes 90% of the burden from us. You know, we, we, we put a lot of the stress on ourselves. Um, I mean, this is kind of a different conversation, but uh, we, we put a lot of the stress on ourselves for, for doing, uh, thinking that uh, we are supposed to enact God's will. Um, a fundamentalist, I think, are great about this. You know, they, they, they put all this pressure on, on Christians to try to get people saved. You know, it's your job to go out there and win souls, win souls, win souls. And they push this soul winning, and they push it so hard that, um, you know, I, I just had a conversation with a guy on Quora who was asking, well, why, why is it every Christian I meet, he's always trying to shove religion down my throat? Uh, you know, and about about Christianity. Nobody likes a pushy car salesman. Nobody likes a pushy Christian either. Yes, it's God's will for us to be enclosed. You know, Jesus, the Great Commission. You know, go out and 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 teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Uh, you know, so so we are supposed to go through Yeah. Um, I had uh, something I, I thought about the other day about that. I was talking with somebody, and, um, you know, Hiles Anderson required that we witness to two people every week. And I, I just wonder, like, getting saved is the first part of it. You know, but once, once you're saved, there needs to be a discipleship. Uh, you know, that there was also the philosophy of we don't specialize. Everyone is a soul winner, which is fine, but we can't all win souls every single week and then all continue to win souls if we're not also teaching them and stuff like that. We still have to go to work and everything else. I was wondering about that. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yeah. First of all, um, winning souls is not. It should not be our main focus. In other words... It's not my job to make people get saved. It's my job to present the gospel. Um, okay, here's what I told the guy on on Cora. I said it's my job to make the introduction. But what you do after that introduction is totally up to you. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And and it's our job to help someone form that relationship and try to walk them through that relationship. That's what discipleship is. It's helping them get a deeper relationship with Christ and with the Word of God. Um, it starts with salvation. But if we're if we're focused on soul winning, and if that's our if that's our laser point focus, then we miss everything else. And so, yes, we ought to be we ought to be soul winners, but and this is why I had the idea of of it being more like a a multi level marketing thing, all right? Because in the book of Acts, they were out winning souls, but then it also said they broke bread and they they were uh, uh, reading the scriptures from house to house, all right? So, what do you do in multi level marketing? 
uh, you go out and you knock on a bunch of doors and you introduce the product to people. And if people are interested in the product, then they'll buy the product. All right, that's salvation. But then you say, okay, well, now that you've bought the product, let me tell you about this awesome business opportunity that you can get into, which is where you can actually become, uh, can, can profit off of this product. If you really, really like this product and it's really just changed your life, then why don't you talk to other people about this product and maybe you can influence them and get them excited about buying this product and get some of them involved in the business and then you can make it a ton of money off of it. So what you're doing is you're showing them the personal benefit of being in the business of selling a product um, and getting other people excited about the same product. So, what, I mean, uh, Brother Hiles used to say, uh, 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 God's business is the greatest business in all the world. Okay, well, if that's true, then why don't we take the multi-level business marketing approach and knock on a bunch of doors, get some folks saved, and then tell them, hey, if you really like this product, if, if you're really excited about being saved, why don't you come over to Joe's house uh, Tuesday night. We're going to have a cookout, and we're going to talk about the scriptures, and we're going we're gonna to show you how you can deepen your relationship with Christ, and we're going to talk about some things, and you can ask questions, and, and just open the thing up. Um. Yeah, there's you know, there's a lot of churches doing that, I'm sure. Doing that, and guess what? It's those churches that are doing that that are going that are growing like gangbusters. Yeah, they're using the NIV or whatever you know the latest version is. They're using a lot of gimmicks to try to to try to get people in, and so well, we don't want to use gimmicks. We just want to use the Word of God. Well, okay, that's nice, but. You know, in the meantime, we're just knocking on doors and, and yeah, people are getting saved, but we're leaving a lot of uh, 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 souls out there. We're, we're, we're abandoning a lot of spiritual babies to the world. So that was our conversation, and uh, it was actually two phone calls because we got interrupted, uh, call dropped, and then the audio switched from emphasizing his audio, which is perfect because... That's the content I wanted to get, and mine was really not good. I need to get a new microphone for that on a Bluetooth set that's going to block out the uh, excess noise. I actually had one, a Blue Parrot uh, headset, and I could st stand in front of a truck that was running, which would be normally, you know, deafeningly loud on a phone, and the person could hear me and not even hear that. So I need to get one of those again. The one I had broke, and I threw it away and got something else. So anyway, the second one, I had to go in there and manually emphasize his audio. So um, hope that worked out. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to doing more of these. Sherman is an excellent writer, but also a content creator. And, uh, you know, I'm so glad he's partnering with me to be able to put content on this channel because the process of me creating content is much slower <laughs> going through job and stuff like that it's going to take me all of this year to get that done and as i do all the other stuff that i do thanks for listening and have a good day <laughs>